young trapper's Christmas. Jed stood in boots and blue woolen pants, parka, hat rolled down over his ears, his gloved hand on the door latch, looking back at his mother. Her knitting needles clinked and shimmered. Absolutely not, Jed. No trapping. If you get into trouble, I can't help you like he could. You're young. Jed pushed open the door. And don't forget the firewood. He ran down the snowy path to the garage where the ladder lying in the snow reminded him of another undone chore. She had asked him to clamber up the ladder and connect the strings of Christmas lights his father had tacked up last year under the eaves. Eleven years old was evidently not too young for that. From the woodpile by the garage, Jet gathered lengths of firewood and stacked them on his arm. In the summer, his father had cut enough firewood to last them the winter. A wildlife biologist, Jed's father had died in a plane crash in September. He had been tracking caribou from the air when it happened. Now each month the woodpile would shrink until what? Jed's gaze fell on the traps that hung from pegs along the side of the garage, dozens of rusty steel traps of different sizes. He dropped the firewood and tarried, recalling the many things his father had taught him about wild animals, their habits, and the tracks they leave in the snow. Jed felt close to his father when he handled the traps. He laid five of them down in the snow and set the first one, forcing his boot down on the spring. Crouching, he opened the jaws of the trap and carefully set the trigger shank. It held. He set the others, and then with a stick, he went from trap to trap, triggering each with a tap to the pan. The jaws snapped shut each time. Forgetting himself, clouds of breath rolling from his mouth, Jed repeated the trick, setting the traps and triggering them. Annie wondered, is there any way to trap a ghost? Do ghosts leave tracks in the snow? What sort of bait might a ghost find irresistible? After all, prayers had not been enough to bring his father back. Jed! That was his mother calling. Hurriedly, he scooped up the traps, hung them on the pegs, picked up the firewood, piled more wood in his arm to make up for the delay, and tramped back to the house where he staggered to a corner of the living room and let the firewood crash to the floor. If that isn't a cord of wood, she laughed. Jed laid some firewood on the floor at her feet, close enough that she could lean from her rocker to the barrel stove and add it to the fire without having to stand. What were you doing out there, Jed? Nothing. It was so gloomy in the living room he wondered how she could see to knit. A wretched little Christmas tree of black spruce stood undecorated in the corner. Nobody cared about it. His mother hadn't the energy to bother about the tree. Willoughby, his sister, overnighting at her friend's, wouldn't even be home until after tomorrow's Christmas Eve party in the meeting house, where a real tree, a grand fir, sturdy and fragrant, would be the centerpiece. The church guild was holding their annual bazaar tomorrow, followed by the party, and Willoughby was best friends with the daughter of one of the organizers. As for Jed, he didn't decorate the tree because what was the point? In the gloom of the handsome living room, everything seemed pointless. Their homeschooling had collapsed. They ate canned food or salmon from the freezer. They left the house infrequently. Jed dreaded driving by Birch Hill Cemetery, but when they did, he stole glances at the snow-blanketed hill. What was the point of Christmas lights? For Jed, the lights had gone out in September, and he felt he lived in a dark, wintry hole. And so the flames rustled and the rocking chair creaked, 
and the knitting needles tinkled. His mother worked hard to finish Grandpa Henry's mittens, speaking of pointlessness. She had been knitting them forever. But even if, miraculously, she finished them and mailed them, they would never reach California by Christmas. She tried to interest Jed in the rare Swedish yarn she had ordered and the antique Swedish design of blue birds on a white background, but Jed, indifferent, turned away, and with a backward glance at the pitiful Christmas tree, he shuffled to his room. At eleven o'clock the next morning, the daylight had just broken when Jed saw a fox outside by the garage. He watched it from the window. The fox, a red fox, stood broadside, looking intently toward the woods, and as Jed's excitement on seeing the fox turned to curiosity about its behavior, a terrible thought occurred to him. He glanced at his mother and slipped to the door. "'Are you going out, Jed? What about your cocoa? Be back in a minute.' Outside, the cold wind lashed his chin and cheeks. Descending the path toward the fox, Jed felt queasier with every step. When it noticed Jed, the beautiful orange fox started fearfully, but it couldn't free its leg. Again, it fought the trap, but to no avail. It panted and warily eyed him, the fur of its belly ruffling in the wind. Jed looked up at the heavy overcast of the sky, feeling sick with wrongdoing. He saw what had happened. He'd probably dropped food scraps last night, taking the trash out. The odor would have brought the fox. In his hurry yesterday, he had left one of the traps out. The trap wasn't anchored, but its chain had caught around a rung of the aluminum ladder, and the fox was trapped as surely as if Jed had trapped it on purpose. Jed! That was his mother calling. He winced and returned to the house. She had seen the fox from the window and was furious about it. She had called the police. You did? You'll have to learn the hard way, she said. We talked about this. No trapping, remember? You'll pay the fines out of your own pocket. The police turned out to be their neighbor, Trooper Carl Riley. Trooper Riley was off duty this Christmas Eve, and Jed's mother seemed disappointed he was not in uniform. Her hand on Jed's shoulder clamped on his shoulder. She asked the ruddy-faced Mr. Riley what the law prescribed for a boy caught trapping without a license. Mr. Riley glanced at their Christmas tree, rubbed his jaw, and gave mother and son a kindly smile. He assured Mrs. Hansen he would free the fox, and with luck the fox would survive. Jed kept quiet. His mother pressed her point, though, and Mr. Riley, in his capacity as a lawman, finally told her, Ma'am, your son doesn't need a trapping license until he's sixteen. He's free to trap all he wants. On Jed's shoulder, his mother's grip slackened. She stammered her thanks to Mr. Riley, and red-faced herself, she backed away from the door. "'You knew,' she accused Jed when Mr. Riley had gone. "'You knew I was making a fool of myself.' She pinched her lips shut, angry, and strode away from Jed, then returned to his side, and, her mouth quivering, she hugged him. "'Oh, Jed!' With that, they clung to each other, realizing how desperately they needed each other. "'Let's go to the social,' she said. "'We'll go early.' We'll buy something at the bazaar. So I haven't finished Grandpa's mittens. I'll finish them by New Year's. I'm not going, Jed said. He didn't want to go anywhere. 
what a bother it was to have to talk to people and pretend to feel something he didn't. It would be a sort of betrayal of his father to leave the house on Christmas Eve. That's what he felt. For an hour, Jed's mother coaxed him to go, but he refused. You'll be lonely, she warned him. Maybe I want to be lonely. By nine o'clock that night, though, Jed had changed his mind. He wandered the house in dejection and switched all the lights on. He thought jealously of Willoughby and their friends singing and feasting at the party. He went out into the black, windy night and from a distance watched the yellow window light falling across the snow. With that, Jed ran back to the house, into his room, and threw himself across his bed in tears. Underneath the bed was an old tackle box which he presently withdrew. Jed crouched by the bed and slid the box toward him, and then sitting on the bed with it, he opened it and poured over the articles inside, a knife, sharpening stone, reading glasses, wristwatch, items so sweetly evocative of his father he ordinarily hadn't the strength to look at them. Outside, the wind blew around the house, rattling the chimney stack and whooshing down the flue. In alarm, Jed rolled off his bed and hurried to the living room, where the barrel stove rumbled and the flames crackled much too loudly. He shut the stove damper to adjust the draft, but still that rushing came, quieter now, a hum, muscular and rhythmic like the wing-beats of a raven. Jed looked up at the ceiling fan, its blades slowly turning. He returned to his bedroom and shut the door. He had hardly sat down on the bed when he knew, with as much conviction as he had ever felt anything, that his father was in the room with him. That humming had resolved into the deep, cheerful, unmistakable voice of his father, speaking to him from what seemed a distance, yet no distance at all. It can't be done, Jed. Jed swallowed hard. He didn't move. He didn't dare to. But a joyful energy rushed through him. He stared at the white wall over the headboard. You can't trap a ghost, Jed. You can only trap yourself. You crippled that fox for all the wrong reasons. Will it be all right? Jed whispered the words. Oh, it'll get along, but you? Jed looked down at the tackle box. I'm okay. Jed, Jed, listen to me. You shouldn't be sitting here alone on Christmas Eve. You will never have me back the way you knew me. I'm not in those trifles in the box. I'm all around you, Jed. I'm in your heart. I beat in your blood. I'm in the air you breathe. Do you understand? It's Christmas Eve. Why aren't you with your family? I don't know. I just didn't want... Christmas is about life, Jed. The beauty and miracle of life on earth. Don't let it go hollow. Jed stared so hard at the white wall over the headboard, he thought he saw movement. Sooner or later, his father said, you will stop confusing the spirit of things with things themselves then you won't expect more from Christmas than it can give you. Now tell me, how long before your mother and sister come home? An hour, Jed said, sitting up. Will you make the best of it? Yes, that's my Jed. Yes, I will, Jed said, and with a parting glance at the tackle box, he lowered the lid and latched it shut, his mind whirling with the meaning of his father's words. That old knife in the box didn't hold his father's spirit any more than his spirit had been contained by his body only, or any more than the Christmas spirit is confined to toys and tinsel. 
Jed wouldn't stop feeling angry about things until he accepted that difference and began to see life for what it is. He stood from the bed, a powerful enthusiasm welling up in him. Heartened by what had happened, not forgetting his promise to his father, he went to work. For the next hour, racing through the house, Jed transformed it into the festive home he knew would delight his mother and sister on their return, would delight him, too. He popped popcorn, mixed cider, and hung stockings. From the closet he dragged the box of decorations and hung so many bells, balls, and candy canes on the little black spruce Christmas tree, the tree swayed precariously, and he took care not to tip it over. He hurled tinsel at the tree, and then he ran to the garage, lugged the ladder to the house, and with the flashlight in hand, scrambled up the rungs and groped under the eaves for the electrical cord. Soon a ring of red and green Christmas lights crowned the house. Jed could not wait for them to come home. He stoked the fire and put on music, and tranquil airs of O Holy Night echoed through the house as Jed, peering out the window, his face pressed to the cold glass, saw snowflakes dancing and glittering in the lights of the car, then turning up the drive. A Young Trapper's Christmas was first published in the Fairbanks Daily News Miner's Heartland magazine on December 19, 1993. It won their Christmas story competition that year. I was lucky to come across an old copy. I had no record of it myself. The word podcast didn't even exist back then. What a trip, right? Nothing is lost. Nothing is futile. The Hanson family, by the way, figure in three stories I wrote, the longest of which, A Fox in May, is included in my collection, Alaskans, which is widely available. About Land of Barren Eagle, the new book, I am glad to say the paperback, which has been caught up in the vicissitudes of our day, COVID, supply chains, China, is shipping out. You can get it at HancockHouse.com and at the online retailers. Amazon's Kindle version and the Barnes & Noble ebook can be had starting today, December 15. If you have an independent bookstore left in your town, you could also give them a try. I am Tanya Ravis at alaskawriting.com, and you've been listening to the Denali Press Podcast. The email is denalipresspodcast at gmail.com. Tune in again on Deck We Have Brown Bears, Part 2. Thank you for joining me today. Happy Holidays. Thank <laughs> you.